Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Neutral Zone Infraction Podcast. You got Dynasty Zoltan here, and as always, I'm joined by Dynasty Jacobian. How's it going? Hey, Mike. How are you doing? Um, today was a rough day to wake up. My teams got absolutely massacred. Um, they went the way of Tua, which was down pretty early yeah. and never got back. So uh, it was a tough week for me. But my teams are still over 500 overall, so looking onwards. How uh, how bad was it overall for you? Um, I was definitely under 500. I think I, I, I won probably 11 out of my 27 leagues still. Um, I had some nice performances come through. Uh, some You know, we had some big players uh, put up some monster numbers like Derrick Henry this week. And teams where I had those guys, my teams, uh, my teams won, but... Where I had Chanel and Tua and Waddle going, it didn't go so well. So overall, I think uh, my teams are at 45 and 37. It's a little above average, but not where I want to be at this point. Week two, we're going to forget about it and move on. Yeah, it was a weird week. I mean, you mentioned some of the injuries, of course, with Tua. Uh, Landry went down early. Um, there were just a lot of injuries. I mean, there were players in and out of the game who actually, like uh, Baker and Dalvin, who actually had pretty good games, seemed to be hurt every other play. Yeah. It was uh, it was a it was a weird week. I uh, I also had a pretty middling week, just about five hundred, looking to uh, looking to move on, and hopefully next one will be better. Absolutely, it's it's not too often you see uh, guys like Tyler Lockett put up five times the amount of Alvin Kamara. So. You know, no, and, and Kamara's having, having some uh, struggles early in the season, but yeah, it was it was just a weird league. I mean, a weird week. Sorry, just looking at some of the stats from this week. Um, quite honestly, there were players who you essentially never heard of or would never consider starting. Um, who were up in the top twenty, right? You'd guys like I, I know your guy KJ Osborne, um, but uh, a lot of wide receivers that really didn't belong there. Um, and a lot of, you know, middle and right. Patterson was uh, wide receiver four on the week. Henry Ruggs, my guy, was wide receiver five. Let's go. Yeah. Mark Brown was the seventh wide receiver. Yeah, there was guys like uh, there was uh, James White was a top 15 back, you know. Uh, there were just a bunch. Freddie Swain had that one large touchdown that got him into the top 24. Like, it was just a weird week. Um, but, you know, it, it doesn't mean that there aren't good takeaways here. Uh, so let's Let's kind of dive in. First of all, I think we should start off, just review the five things that we uh, we were looking at for this week. Um, just to, uh, to give a reminder at the end of last week's uh, uh, second episode, uh, we gave kind of the things that we really wanted to look forward to this week. Uh, so let's touch on those briefly and uh, I can get started. Uh, I was looking at Jonathan Taylor's receptions after getting 60 uh, sorry, six receptions for 60 yards in week uh, one. I was interested to see if that uh, kept up. He only had one target in this game on 15 routes run. Um, however, he basically still played two-thirds of the snaps up until the fourth quarter. Um, in the fourth quarter, they gave the ball to Marlon Mack a bunch because, quite honestly, Taylor wasn't being effective. Um, unsurprisingly, Mack was no more effective. It was really just a you know offensive line that was still a little banged up not used to playing with each other going against Aaron Donald. So uh, now's a good time to buy low if there's any dip on Jonathan Taylor. Um, I'm not worried about the lack of receptions this week, but it wasn't the, you know, reception breakout that I was hoping. 
Uh, yeah, what was uh, really surprising for me was Jonathan Taylor's ineffectiveness uh, within the five-yard line. I think he had seven carries uh, for negative one yards and no touchdowns. And that's, uh, that's a little surprising considering he's a strong back that really excels between the tackles. I wouldn't expect that to go forward, but it's something I want to keep my eye on uh, moving forward. Um, but yeah, I, I, I wouldn't move Jonathan Taylor down at all. Um, he was playing against the Rams, which we know is probably one of, if not the most difficult uh, run defense to face. So, uh, Especially at the goal line. I, I watched those goal line carries. Obviously, Donald was doing his thing, but uh, I think Joseph Day is his name, number 69. He had a really big game as well for uh, the Rams. Uh, Mike Clay tweeted this yesterday that Jonathan Taylor has 3.3 uh, expected rushing and receiving TDs in the NFL. Um, he also leads the league and carries inside the five-yard line. So the zero touchdowns compared to the 3.3 expected, he'd be a top-five back, you know, if he was more around that range. Uh, I'm not worried yet. Uh, so he's a top-five back in both of our rankings. I think uh, he's number three in my rankings. Where do you have him? Oh, he's number one for me. Got it. Yeah. Um, Let's move on. The next thing was uh, talking about Jacobs and his health uh, and whether he'd play in Pittsburgh. Obviously, that was your number one thing. Obviously, I don't think we need to talk about that. He I would like to touch on this, actually. Okay, yeah. There is something we can pull from this. Um, in the game, Kenyon Drake had 70% of the snaps uh, compared to Peyton Barber, but he had less carries. He had seven carries compared to Peyton Barber's 13. So we were talking about Jacobs' usage going forward, and I think this reiterates that for rushing plays, Jacobs will dominate those touches. Uh, obviously, Peyton Barber was ineffective and is going to be virtually irrelevant moving forward. So we'll see how Jacobs does in the passing game if he gets any uh, touches, as as uh, we spoke about previously. But definitely uh, should look for him to dominate those rushing touches moving forward. Yeah, definitely, and I, I think that's a good point and worth saying. Um, my next thing I was looking for this week was Robbie Anderson, whether he would get any more work, and it really uh, it really did not look great for Robbie Anderson this week either. Um, on the season, he actually only has nine targets. Uh, that's tied with Terrace Marshall for third on the team behind McCaffrey and DJ Moore. We all kind of thought that that could be the case, but it really is a bad sign for Robbie as far as how he's being used. Um and I really think that at this point, uh, he's not startable, and I hope that you didn't give up a second-round pick or draft him in the top 11 rounds of a startup or anything like that because things just aren't really going well for him with Sam Darnold the same way that they didn't go well for him uh, in New York with Sam Darnold. To me, the interesting thing about Robbie is you remember there was a weird situation last year where DJ Moore was being used as the deep threat and Robbie was being used as the underneath guy. That has completely flipped on its head this year. Uh, Robbie Anderson has a ridiculous A dot right now of uh, 21.0. Again, only on nine targets, but still that's meaningful. Uh, While DJ Moore has an A dot of uh, 9.5. So he's being used far more in the intermediate area. McCaffrey's being used in the short area. And Robbie Anderson's the deep threat. So it it seems like you can put him back on your bench as a boom bust flex. I agree completely. I, I've never been in on Robbie Anderson. He he has some physical talent. He's fast as hell. But other than that, there's nothing to his game that's particularly exciting. What I took away from this game is I am back on the DJ Moore train full steam ahead. Um, what I was looking for from him was whether or not he would get some of these touchdowns. And yes, like 
the usage last year sucked. Like he wasn't used properly at all, and it's good to see that he's getting some of that underneath usage he got two years ago that really made him that PPR dominant threat. But in college, he was this great touchdown threat, and he just hasn't been a touchdown guy in the NFL. And to see him get a touchdown early in the season was was good to see. It also seems like he's the go-to guy for Sam Darnold. Um, I'm going to be looking out to see if DJ Moore continues this trend and continues to get touchdowns moving forward. But definitely a positive sign to get one early on in the season. Yeah, no disagreements there. Um, your next question was, Saquon, does he just suck now? Uh, <laughs> you want to take that away? No, Saquon doesn't suck. He's never going to suck. This is a this is an elite, elite player. He's generational. Um, you know, he did struggle this week. We, we talked about that on our uh, third episode where he had 12 carries for 16 yards outside of his 41-yard run. Um, the good thing that we saw was that he, had, he was on the field for 84% of the snaps. Uh, his, usage was got, his, his usage went up. And, um, you know, with that one explosive play, we did see the acceleration burst the vision and all the things that made Saquon Saquon. Um, we also saw a nice 9-10 yard carry between the tackles where he was cutting back and forth. That showed that he has a little more trust in that knee. Um, you know, we'll see how, how the Giants do in terms of run blocking move forward, but I think it's only a matter of time where Saquon clicks and he's back to being that top two running back that we have come to know and love. So. No, Saquon doesn't suck. If people are selling him, go buy him. He is awesome. Did he move at all in your rankings? I know you just put out a new update. Yeah, he, he went up. Uh, he, he, I oh. moved him above Jonathan Taylor, and this has nothing to do with their performance. It just was that I felt like I shouldn't have moved him down to begin with. Okay, so what, he's at number two right now? He's two. Uh, Christian McCaffrey's shown me enough to be the solid number one. Yeah, uh, I, I moved Barkley down from three to four. Uh, I moved Swift above him, and more importantly, I moved into the second tier, uh, while Taylor and McCaffrey are the only two in the top tier. Um, but again, I you know we talked about this a lot on the last episode. Uh, Brandon Ayuk was the next guy that I was looking for. Obviously, his usage was uh, quite terrible, uh, not what we wanted to see. Still only got one target despite playing 38 snaps. Uh, for comparison, Debo played 49 snaps and Trent Sherfield played 34. Uh, but sorry, my apologies. He actually got two targets. But again, two targets on 19 routes run for a guy like Ayuk just isn't going to cut it. Um, I recently put out a poll on Twitter asking uh, whether or not you would rather have Ayuk or a 2022 first. With about 160 votes in, the 2022 first is winning 64% to 36%. Um, Personally, I would still take Ayuk over a late one, but if it has a chance of being an early one, I'd probably punt at this point. I did move Ayuk down significantly in my rankings this week. Um, I moved him down from 15 to 26. Um, he's now in a range with Keenan Allen, Deontay Johnson, and Debo Samuel. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm a bit worried. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm not really worried about Brandon Ayuk. He was 27th in my rankings uh, before, and he is 27th now. Um, something's going on with him. I think it might might be some sort of early season thing, but I'm not worried about Brandon Ayuk. Um, as long as he regains his form from last year, he doesn't have to be the wide receiver one on that team to be a very good player. Uh, if he If he plays like he did last year, that being said, 
I do think Debo is asserting himself as the wide receiver one of that team. I think he's taken a huge step forward in his game, both as a route runner and as the uh, focal point of that offense. You know, he's no longer just an option. He's the guy they're looking to go to, and he's making plays happen. Right now, he's one of the league leaders in yards, and uh, it's not surprising considering his yards after catchability. So, Debo's a guy that's moved up in my rankings a ton, um, but Brandon Ayuk, I am not concerned yet. There is reason to worry. I, I, I do actually have to disagree with you on that. I don't think that there's enough room for Ayuk in this offense if Debo's going to do what he's doing. Um, I think it's likely that both of them regress you know, to the mean towards each other, but... The 49ers have run the ball 54% of the time this season. I know they had that easy game against Detroit, but they're generally one of the more neutral game script uh, high run teams in the league. Elijah Mitchell has 36 rush attempts, while Ayuk and Kittle have combined for 14 targets. Um, that just can't keep up. And I know we'll talk about Kittle later. He's something, someone I really want to dive into. Um, but realistically, there's just not enough room with how they run the ball for Debo, Ayuk, and Kittle. And I think that it's it's hard to see where they're going to end up. I think Debo's obviously going to have some regression, but he's clearly proven that he's you know the number one weapon for now. So I, I, if Ayuk is just going to be a five six target a game guy, he's not going to be fantasy relevant. Yeah, just to, just to push back on that, um, San Francisco is twentieth in the league in plays per game right now so yeah, like that's they're about not it. their offense isn't in full sync so i think that those extra touches for Ayuk and kittle aren't necessarily going to come from the run game but from a more effective offense i mean we know shanahan's a great offensive play caller i really averaging five less plays a game you know 54 percent run is a lot especially when all of your running backs have gone down yeah, but I, I kind of disagree with that because I think the reason that their first 20th is like slightly below average, right? Average is 16th and 17th. And I also think that the reason that they're so slow is not because of their – sorry, that they run so few plays is not because of their ineffectiveness. It's because they're running the ball, right? If you're running the ball, the clock is still moving. They do a lot of short stuff as well. Jimmy has a high completion percentage. That all lends itself. I mean, the Patriots are constantly one of the slowest teams in the league, even when they ran a bunch of hurry-up late in games because that's just what they did. They like to run the clock, control the ball. I think they find that valuable, and I think that Shanahan does as well. So I, I don't think that there's enough room for all of those. Like, Jimmy's not a guy who's going to put up more than 270 passing yards a game, you know, on a good day. So I think it's going to be tough for all three of those guys to be relevant, as I was saying, especially when they have these plays to get other players involved i mean we'll see with with all the running backs going down i i don't know if they're going to keep up that 54 percent rate i mean that's incredibly high even with healthy running backs so we'll yeah. see but you, you make a lot of good points i think we'll just agree to disagree here yep for sure um your next two questions both are kind of null at this point debo is he now insane i think we touched on that and we're going to continue talking about the niners a bit later um, and your third one was Tua. What's going to happen there? Uh, obviously, he had that Black jacket. Yeah, he had that injury earlier. Uh, we're going to touch on the uh, the Tua injury uh, later on in our quarterback uh, review and preview for this week. Yeah, um, man, that was not good. But something's got to get cleaned up along that offensive line. If if you saw it, um, there was a tweet put out with the uh, pass grade numbers for the Dolphins. Uh, yeah. It was just abysmal. I mean, he was getting smacked around left and right, and it's you just can't have your franchise quarterback 
taking blindside hits like that just it's just brutal. Oh yeah, it was absolutely terrible. Um, Open season. My next thing I was looking for, as I'm looking for all season, was Javante Williams and his split with Melvin Gordon, as well as how well they played. Now, it was interesting this week. Um, Javante was actually out-snapped 41-28 by Melvin. He was outrun. Uh, he ran 10 less routes, about half the routes. And, but they had identical number of carries, and Javante was incredibly effective. He looked really, really good. He had a few plays where he was just running over person, uh, sorry, people. He is truly a poor man's Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb. I really think that he is you know, not on that level, uh, and he doesn't have that breakaway speed, but he's really an incredible runner. Um, I saw earlier today that Javante Williams was uh, fifth for the week, in percent in uh, average yards over expectation and percentage of yards over expectation, um, I'm still waiting for some of the advanced stats of broken tackles and juke rate to come out. Um, but just based on week one, where you know he was still under three and a half yards of carry, uh, he was top ten in uh, juke rate, evaded tackles, um, and uh, broken tackles. So he's really showing what we all knew from college, where he set the record for broken tackle rate. Um, and I think he's going to take over this backfield sooner rather than later. Melvin looked pretty ineffective. Melvin was ineffective this game, but he did have a good week one. I'm going to pump the brakes on him taking over. I'm, I'm personally expecting the split to continue. That being said, I'm right there with you on Javante as a player. I think he's awesome. Um, don't think I can put him up there with Chubb and Henry, but I do have him on par with people like Antonio Gibson and David Montgomery in terms of talent. The difference between... Antonio Gibson and David Montgomery and Javante for me is we know that uh, Montgomery has that PPR potential. Yeah. Antonio Gibson has that wide receiver background and has gotten targets lately. I want to see Javante get some more targets. That wasn't his strong suit in college, but it's something I think he can do, especially with his, uh, his vision on the field. So hopefully that ticks up a little bit and definitely will going forward when Melvin Gordon's out of the picture. But that's the difference, and that's why they're on a different tier for me. But Javante moved up one spot. He's now 11th in my rankings, and I'm excited about that guy for sure. Yeah, and, and, and to be clear, I don't think he's as good as Chubb or as Henry, just kind of comparing them from that level. But I will say that uh, Javante Williams had 25 catches for 300 yards his senior year while splitting time in North Carolina. He, he has the chops to do it. And you look at a guy like, for instance, Derrick Henry this year, who I believe – his career high was 17 or 18 uh, receptions in a year, and he already has, what, eight or nine this season? Through yeah, two they games. all came last game, though. Like, yeah, like no, I, no, no, no. He had, he had four targets and three catches week one as well. Uh, you know, that's a 50-catch that's a pace. So uh, what I mean to say is that I don't think Javante Williams is going to be running, you know, option routes out of the backfield, but just like Chubb, just like Henry, he's a good enough player that he can catch a dump off in space and make a lot of people miss and gain seven yards on basically an extended running play. So I, I agree I need to see him being used that way, but I, I think he's got the chops to do it. Where do you got uh, Javante in, in your rankings? I have Javante number nine. He actually hasn't moved for me. Um, but yeah, he's he's number nine for me after the uh, my second tier is Swift, Barkley, Gibson, Cook, Kamara, and Chubb. And then I got Javante in a tier with Najee Harris at nine and ten. Got it. I have uh, I have Javante eleventh right behind Gibson at nine and Montgomery at ten. 
I got those uh, the three older guys that are our key producers right now, Cook, Kamara, and Chubb, right before them. And yeah, that makes that. that makes sense. I, so it seems like the two guys you have higher would be Jacobs, who we don't need to talk about, and uh, Montgomery. I, I think Javante. I mean, he's three years younger than Montgomery. I think he's a better runner. He's clearly less reliable for this season, but I I have him a tier above pretty comfortably. I, I honestly, if if this was last year and we were saying Javante's a better runner, I would have agreed with you, but. David Montgomery looks way more decisive this year. His second week wasn't as good as his first week, but, you know, I, I'm not worried about David Montgomery at all. Yeah. On him. No, that's fair. I, I, and I like Montgomery, too, so I didn't mean to, mean to say it that way. Um, I think the next thing that we have to touch on uh, will be my final thing I was looking for, which is James Robinson and his splits. I told y'all in week one this was James Robinson's backfield. They were getting blown out, so they gave the, the touches to the old vet when it didn't matter, and I was proven right this week. James Robinson had 41 of the 56 snaps. He had 22 routes run compared to 9 for Carlos Hyde. He had 11 carries. Carlos Hyde had 2. Um, obviously, you know, we'd like to see more production from James Robinson and they're going to be in a lot of negative game scripts, but that means he will get targets. You know, he's going to be in that 15 to 18 touch range every week. And this is his backfield. I'm still comfortable with him as an RB two. You know, uh, you were right on that. I'm not comfortable with him as an RB two, um, for the reason, uh, this offense is terrible. Um, Trevor Lawrence looks bad. Uh, DJ Tark looks bad. That offensive line is terrible. LaVisca Chanel isn't producing. Um, it's It's been a nightmare of yeah. an offense. Uh, Urban Meyer's calling games terribly. Um, and if they're not going to score touchdowns, there's just, a non, there's just not enough touches for uh, J-Rob to be really that productive. Um, that being said, like if they can somehow see some improvement from T-Law, if LaVisca can get some more medium-range targets... Uh, you know, maybe this will there will be an uptick in scoring opportunities and maybe some longer drives. But you know, I, I have a lot of reason to worry about anybody on that offense at this point. Yeah, and, and that's that's totally fair. I mean, I I guess when I say I'm comfortable with it, like it it wouldn't be my ideal. I I would obviously rather have him in a flex spot, and I think most people would have him in his flex spot just based on you know the fact that he was not being drafted as a starter with Etienne there. Um, but I, I just think it's like it's good to see him take over a little bit from uh, Carlos Hyde and showing that that first week was a bit of uh, abnormality. Just uh, to stick on the Jags a little bit, I want your take on Trevor Lawrence. Are you worried about him at all? Uh I am not worried about Trevor Lawrence because I think he's in a terrible situation. Um, I think he's got a bad head coach. I think he's got an awful offensive line. I think he's got a terrible defense. But that being said, I mean, you look at what Peyton Manning did his rookie season, obviously led the league in picks. That being said, he hasn't looked good, right? Trevor Lawrence was... I, I don't even know his final stats. He, I believe he was below 500 in terms of his completion percentage. Let me just look this up now. But basically the issue with him is he's putting throws on the money. I think he's been very accurate. His decision-making's been bad. 
He's up. He's locking on to number one receivers for a long time in a single route. Uh, here we go. He was 14 of 33 for 118 yards, one touchdown, and two picks. That is a 3.6 yard per attempt, uh, 42% completion percentage. It was terrible. Um, I'm not worried at this point. He's still showing me the arm that I wanted to see. He's not running enough. I mean, he had two for 21 in this game, so that, that was a little bit better, but one was on basically one long run. I'd like to see him use his athleticism more, but I think it's going to be a season where he finishes as a QB2 in Superflex, a low-end one, just from compiling a bunch of numbers. Uh, Denver's a good defense. There'll be better games than this one, but uh, it's not looking great. The Jags look like crap right now. LaVisca Chenault, seven targets for negative three yards. What are you doing? Man, That it was tough to watch. I mean, I, I don't even know what to say. It was a bad game, but, you know, the first game was pretty good, and having 14 targets over two uh, – not 14, 16 targets over two games I'm happy about – and he definitely looks better than Chark, who has 25% catch rate right now. And the only balls Chark is getting is, like, uh, those deep balls. I think he has 26 yards per touch, and he has four touches on 16 targets. So yeah, I will say, and that's, like, that's part of the problem with Lawrence, right? He's... He's locking on to these guys as number one. Like Basically what happens is some team will be playing a cover one or a cover two. The safety won't get fully over, and he'll just throw a streak to Chark. Like, I get it. Maybe that's the right read. But if Chark's not getting open there, right, if he's going against these elite Denver corners, sometimes you got to move on from the first option. And he's doing the same thing with Chenault, right? He's zeroing in on him when Chenault's the target for a short route, and it just doesn't end up going anywhere. So I... I'm concerned about the offense as a whole. I think Urban Meyer is out after the season if he even makes it the whole season. So I think it'll get better, but uh, it hasn't looked good. You know, we got. I, I personally want to see Urban Meyer have a little time to actually see what he can do. I mean, he's taken over a bad team. Let's remember that. This team's already gutted when he comes in there. So yeah. there's not a lot of expectations for Urban Meyer. It would be a little unfair to just put this all on him. But just to touch on Trevor Lawrence, this is this is kind of my issue with um, looking at numbers from college, you know, we, we had some really crazy numbers from Trevor Lawrence, which is one of the main reasons why he was considered this generational prospect. But when you're at Clemson and you're playing against Pitt and Wake Forest and all these other garbage ACC teams, you know, you're going to have these top recruits coming in at wide receiver, and it's really not that hard to size up and dominate those games, even if you're locking onto your guy. And I don't know. I haven't looked at the the, the advanced numbers for it, for his college production, but I'd venture to guess if he's having processing issues in the NFL, he probably locked on to his number one, and it just worked out in college for him. I gotta say one thing. I uh, I uh, bit of a non sequitur, but I was offering out some trades for Tony Pollard this morning, uh, and I just got countered with Chase Claypool and Marquez Callaway for Tony Pollard. So uh, oh apparently, there's a sell window for him. I am going to reject that. Um, anyways, I, I think that Trevor Lawrence had similar issues as Joe Burrow did, honestly, uh, this week, and really for their careers, uh, or at least Burrow's career. And it's a similar situation where, obviously, Burrow was incredible in college, but he was playing with these ridiculous weapons, um, similar to what we think about a lot of Alabama guys. I mean, uh, quarterback, and I will admit, I'm the worst at evaluating quarterback out of college prospects. Um, if you look at my ownership across teams, I basically just drafted rookie quarterbacks this year based on uh, what I thought their value would do and kind of what I thought the best value was. So I have a lot of Mac Jones because he was going in the late first. I have a lot of... Uh, 
Justin Fields because he was going number three overall in a lot of leagues, but um, it's it's tough. I, I think Lawrence will be okay. He's going to have a long career and a high floor, but um, I'm worried about his processing ability right now. Um, the final thing we wanted to touch on was Baker. Uh, you were wondering, you know, he did well against a good defense, didn't get any touchdowns. How would he look in week two? And once again, it was a weird game in week two for Baker Mayfield. Um, he was 19 of 21 for 213 yards, uh, which is a good game. Uh, of course, you know, he completed every single pass within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage. He was 18 for 18 on those passes. Uh, but he's basically playing point guard right now, right? He had one touchdown, one pick. He was one for three on throws of 15 or more yards. Only throwing f- three of those passes is very, uh, very strange. I mean, it can be effective, especially in a game like this where it's a relatively easy matchup. Um, but I'm still, I, I know you're going to come away from this game hyping up uh, his, you know, proficiency and efficiency and his completion percentage and all of that was obviously great and that with that running game against a crappy team like Houston they did what they had to do so I'm not saying he should have played differently but this doesn't change my opinion on Baker given that you know he's really just uh, check checking down down the field um what do you have to say about that uh, my opinion on Baker is unchanged. He didn't move in my rankings at all from this week. You know, there's there's multiple components to this game where I, I virtually view this as, like, something we can't even evaluate. Yeah, I agree. Um, he is playing against a crap defense in Houston, which, you know, is, is a positive. But he's without Jarvis Landry, who got hurt very, very early in the game, and OBJ didn't play. Um, so his top weapons were Donovan Peoples-Jones, Anthony Schwartz, and Richard Higgins. So, like, what are you going to do with that? There's there's nothing you can do. So you don't have your main weapons, and you're playing against good defense. Those offset, you kind of just got to manage the game, and that's what he did, and he did an excellent job at it. So right yeah. now he was, he was this week's Chris Paul of football. So um, we'll move forward and see what he does when he actually has weapons. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I'll, I'm going to kind of ignore this game as well, similar to those uh, monsoon games from last season for Baker. Um, one thing that is interesting uh, as far as the Browns go is that, uh, first of all, they only threw five targets out of the 21 passes to wide receivers. As you mentioned, they were missing their top two, so it's not surprising. Uh, but Donovan Peoples-Jones ha- has had a bad season. He's only had two targets on 48 routes run. That's not ideal. What I will point out is that Harrison Bryant, one of my favorite uh kind of sleeper tight ends i think he's better than austin hooper uh he had four catches for 49 yards he continues to look pretty good harrison bryant and albert okwebunam i know i tried to say that last week and probably failed again um they're two guys that if uh, austin hooper and if Noah Fant go down i immediately think that they're tight end ones um you know the lower end tight end ones but i think that they both have large roles if the starters go down so if you can get one of those guys for a third round pick especially in a tight end premium league I'm definitely doing that. With Harrison Bryant, I disagree. Um, I think eventually he is the guy in Cleveland. Uh, David Njoku has also had a a pretty okay, pretty good start to his season, and they might continue to have that two tight end system with David Njoku and Harrison Bryant once Hooper's out of the picture. But I don't think Harrison Bryant has developed to the point where you can put up tight end one numbers consistently regardless of the situation. Albert O, I'm not even going to attempt that last name. Um, he's a little more exciting to me in terms of his overall ability. And, you know, uh, especially with Jerry Judy uh, down, KJ Handler not looking too good. 
if Fant does go down ever, Albert O should step up. Um, but, you know, with Noah Fant in the picture, he's irrelevant. I don't even think he's irrelevant. I, I agree with you. Albert O is better than Harrison Bryant, but he's got seven catches through two games. That's not going to, you know, change anyone's life. But Albert O is one of the best athletes that we have, right? He's like, he's he's not Kyle Pitts, but he's really freaking athletic. He's 6'6", 260, and he ran a 4'5", right? This dude runs a faster 40 than most receivers, and he is 260 pounds, 99th percentile, 40-yard dash, and speed score. He, he's a guy that I'd love to stash on my bench in a tight end premium league. Um, so I, I think that covers what we were looking at as far as the five things from last week. I think we can move on to reviewing kind of what week two went. Uh, we're going to go position by position. And, uh, of course, we're going to start out with the quarterbacks with your guy, Derek Carr. Uh, Derek Carr looked really good again last week. Um, I think he's really looked good essentially for the last 18 games since he's really settled into uh, uh, John Gruden's system. Um, first Baltimore and Pittsburgh putting up over 800 yards and four touchdowns. That's really impressive. I uh, heard a stat on a podcast yesterday that, Der- that uh, Derek Carr and the Raiders since the beginning of 2020 have scored on the second highest percentage of possessions. Uh, now that's including field goals, so their their points per drive is lower than that, but they're second behind the Chiefs in that statistic. He's doing a great job uh, just you know, moving the ball down the field. He's got weapons galore now. I know that you love this Henry Ruggs game, but he's really just got a lot of choices uh, and that stud in Waller, and I, I think he's you know he could very well be a QB1 this year. Yeah, so uh, QB1, I'm going to – Hold off until I see more. I want to see more consistency from the no, no, wide receivers. No, no, a QB one, not the. No, no I, I know that's oh, that's, okay. what that's what I'm saying. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm gonna hold off. Uh, I still think he's a high end QB two. That's where I've had him uh, for a while now. But what's got me really excited is I think that the Raiders are committed to Carr. It's you know the Gruden system is very difficult to pick up, and it's not surprising that it takes time for him to to, to look like he's owning that offense. But he really does look like he's in control. John Gruden and him have a tremendous relationship. And when evaluating the value of quarterbacks, job security is important. That's like part of the reason I have Baker so high in my rankings is he is their franchise quarterback. I think Derek Carr, likewise, is the franchise quarterback of the Raiders. I don't see him leaving. I don't see them drafting anybody. I don't see them trading him. They're not going to want to go through this process of a quarterback learning this offense again. And, you know, he has young weapons. They're exciting. I need to see more consistency from them uh, before, I'm, before I'm comfortable putting him in that QB, top 12 QB range. Um, it's just too early for me. Even on that, like you brought up Henry Ruggs, and Henry Ruggs is a good game. The things that excited me about Henry Ruggs' game was he wasn't just doing deep routes and catching deep routes. He yeah. was getting underneath catches. He had some, a nice outplay. It was actually his deep ball that concerned me because he almost dropped that ball. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, like, but it was good to see him get five catches and over 100 yards being the wide receiver five on the week. You know, Henry Ruggs, go by him. He's still cheap. Um, but, yeah, Derek Carr, it's, it's definitely a great start to the season. I don't see a reason why we should expect any less from him moving forward considering he just played two great defenses in Baltimore and Pittsburgh and put up numbers. Um but, you know, he also had to keep up with those offenses. And when they play lesser offenses, maybe Josh Jacobs gets more involved rather than the pass game. 
Yeah, I don't know that Pittsburgh has a good offense. I think they're pretty terrible, honestly. But, but yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said about Carr. Um, I really like the way that he shared the ball this game. After week one, where he targeted Waller a lot early, uh, kind of to his detriment almost, uh, four players in this game for the Raiders got six or seven targets. No one got more than Waller's seven. So he's really uh, spreading the ball around a lot. Carr moved up, actually. He was the... Uh, other than Heineke, he was the largest riser in my QB rankings. Um, he moved up from 27 to 20 uh, for me. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with job security, like you're saying. Uh, the Raiders being 2-0, and Carr looking good. I think it's likely that you know he's going to be the quarterback there for at least next year, if not more. Um, and that's huge for Derek Carr. So I, I think that's uh, that's very important. Yeah, and just one more thing. I want to touch on your guy, Brian Edwards. You know, I'm, I'm a firm believer Henry Ruggs is the top receiver to have on your rosters in that offense but one of these days those touchdowns one of these Brian <laughs> Edwards touchdowns is going to stick and yeah. you know it's it, he's really just a couple of TDs that uh, away from being a, a pretty relevant player and he has looked good you know it's very possible that the Raiders have two good young receivers and a good quarterback so while there is a buy window for Brian Edwards I might take advantage of that. Yeah, I, I, and I like Brian Edwards, but to put a little water on that fire, um, he's been under 10%. I think he's been about 8% target rate for the last two uh, two weeks. So he's also, he's also not been on the uh, field a whole ton, um, which I do expect to change. I, I hate to contradict you. He actually led the wideouts in snaps and routes run last week. Um, Did he really? Yeah, he had 49 snaps and 34 route, uh, routes ran. Uh, Ruggs had 44 snaps, Renfro had 29, and Zay Jones had 11. So, again, getting three targets on 34 routes run. Um, it's great that he's out there for, you know, most of Carr's uh, dropbacks, but he needs to see more work. I think a lot of it, honestly, is that this offense is flowing and that guys are getting open. We talked about after that crazy week one game for the Raiders that Edwards is more of a jump ball guy. He's more of a 50-50 guy uh, that you throw it up to. He's not going to create a ton of separation. And in an offense where Ruggs is getting open, Renfro's a great route runner, Waller's getting open, uh, Carr doesn't really need to throw it up to a guy like Edwards until it's, you know, third and long. He's shown that he can do awesome on those plays. You know, obviously a few BS penalties and whatnot has hurt him, but... Uh, I, I, I'm not sure he's going to have the volume to be consistent, uh, talking about Edwards. Um, moving on to a guy that, again, I just think we need to touch on briefly, but Teddy Bridgewater looked really good again. Um, I, I think, first of all, uh, all those people saying that uh, you know Drew Locke is a uh, generational player and that benching him was such a mistake. I mean, Denver's got a good team. They got good weapons, and they have uh, good defense. So I think you're seeing similar to what Baker is doing out of Teddy. Uh, pulling up his passing chart, he was 26 of 34, and that includes being only uh, 2 of 5 on passes more than uh, 50 yards. Uh, sorry, more than 20 yards down the field. So again, similar to Baker, he was 24 of 29 on passes within 20 yards. He's doing a great job just, you know, spreading the ball out to those playmakers, whether it's the running backs uh, or Cortland Sutton or Noah Fant. Um, and I think he's, you know, a solid QB two. It looks like he's going to keep his job for the entire season at this point. I don't see why he wouldn't without an injury. Um, and I, I mean, I, I think I'd buy him for a second at this point. You know, I am so happy that, uh, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is getting recognized for being actually good at football. 
Um, you know, he took over for Drew Brees when Drew Brees got hurt, and he, he did very well there. Um, he was managing the game, uh, getting the ball out, and winning games. And then he goes over to Carolina to get an opportunity, and it turned out that it wasn't a real opportunity, wasn't a good fit for him or that offense. Finally goes to a team with a good offensive line and good weapons, and, you know, he's doing what we expected to him, uh, from him. When we saw him in Minnesota, you know, before that freak injury that really sh- should have ended his career, in all honesty, um, Teddy Bridgewater is a good game manager who's who's mobile enough to to get some yards with his legs and also open up passing lanes. But he's really a game manager, and and like with the weapons he has, it, it's going really well. Uh, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if Teddy Bridgewater is the quarterback next year as well. Yeah, I, I mean, especially if the Broncos do well and they don't have a high draft pick. Um, I mean, and I, I do not consider uh, wins a quarterback stat, but I do think it's important when you evaluate how, uh, how well a quarterback is playing. And Teddy Bridgewater is 24-12 and 12 in his career, not including last year's Carolina season. Uh, now, are you comfortable with Teddy Bridgewater in your lineup as your quarterback too? I mean, he's putting up some good fantasy numbers. But are you comfortable, or is he still the guy that you're putting on your bench as your quarterback three? He is. My, he's a guy I want as my quarterback three. Um, you know, if, if we're talking about guys, I think, you know, Carr is a guy I'm comfortable as my QB two. I think Teddy's a guy where if someone gets hurt or the bye weeks or if someone just has a horrible matchup. Um, but another thing you could do with a guy like Teddy is pair him. Let's say you got a guy like... I mean, obviously, Fields and Lance aren't playing right now, but even a guy like Zach Wilson or Trevor Lawrence, who you might not want to start every week, if Teddy's your QB3, you can start him some weeks um, over those guys. Uh, I just don't think Teddy has the upside, especially as far as touchdowns go. Uh, you and I spoke before about how he only had 15 touchdowns last season. Um, he, he's doing a little better this season, but still, like I, I don't think that he's going to average two touchdowns a game. So I don't feel comfortable with him as a QB2 unless that's you know the worst spot in my lineup. You know, when Judy's back, I would feel comfortable with two touchdowns a game. Um, I actually am playing Teddy Bridgewater over two of this week in a league, um, but that isn't going to be the case generally. It's just this week I'm worried about Tua with his rib injury, even if he's playing. Uh, I don't know how it's going to be, how, how his rotation is going to be, especially if they put him in a flag jacket, plus that Raiders defense is looking nice. So I, I, I'm putting Bridgewater in over two of this week, um, and there's a handful of other quarterbacks I put him in over. Like, if I had Matt Ryan on my team, I'm not really excited about what Matt Ryan's doing. I might put Teddy Bridgewater in over him as well. Yeah, and I, I don't disagree with that. I mean... I, again, I think it's matchup dependent, but uh, I mean, this week I would play Matt Ryan against the Giants. I think the Giants have a pretty bad defense. Um, but yeah, I, and I don't know what I would do with Tua this week. I think I got to see how this week shakes out. But Teddy is certainly the safer option, especially when you consider the fact that Tua gets hit once with those bruised ribs. He might have to come out, and you might be looking at another, you know, zero point week. So I think he's certainly a safe option to get you, you know, those eighteen to twenty-two. Uh, Superflex points. Um, we've touched a little bit on the Baker and Tua injuries. Now, now that we're kind of touching on, on them again, let's focus in on Tua. Uh, are you benching him everywhere this week? So uh, last week, I, I own 18 shares of Tua. He's one of my more owned QBs. And I was fortunate I only actually started him in five leagues last week. 
Um, I own him in a lot of leagues where, you know, I have, you know, three or four good quarterbacks and I didn't like his matchup. Um, but what, what are you doing with Tua for this week? Uh, yeah, so in most leagues I have Tua, what I did was um, paired Tua and Baker as my QB1, QB2, and my third quarterbacks, typically Derek Carr or Daniel Jones in those leagues. Yeah. Um, I did this because I wanted a high floor quarterback as my quarterback three. And as it stands now, I'm very comfortable sliding Derek Carr in my lineup. Daniel Jones' first game looked bad, but he put up fantasy points. Week two, he looked great and put up fantasy points. So both of those guys are going in over two of this week. Um, I'm only playing Tua if I have to play Tua this week. It has nothing to do with how I view him as a player or his fantasy production. I just need to see a week of clean health and know that he is okay. Yeah, and, and Max Crosby, the uh, Vegas defensive end, is leading the league in uh, hurries, and uh, we know that Miami doesn't have a good offensive line. If I were Miami, I wouldn't even play Tua this week. Uh, again, obviously they know more about what's going on with his ribs, but I, I think that they should be careful and sit him unless he's really feeling better, and I am not playing him in any league where I you know, need him to, to win. I strongly disagree with that take. Um... The only reason I would sit Tua is if he is at a high risk of re-entry. Yes. I, I don't know. We don't know exactly. Like, no, the, right. the x-rays came back clean. By yeah. all means, it's, it's pain management. So we really, I mean, we don't have that insight. Um, but Jacoby Brissett looked terrible. That They're not going to beat the Raiders with Jacoby Brissett. And as a playoff contending team, uh, one of the teams that they're going to have to fight for a wild card with is the Raiders. This is a very important game. I know it's early in the season, but the, these games that are happening for the Raiders against Baltimore, Steelers, and the Dolphins, that's that's really the battle for the wild card. Okay, yeah. No, you're right. You convinced me. I, I think you're right. I would play good this week. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, let's move on to talk about a guy who looked like shit uh, by the name of Zach Wilson. Um there was a lot of hype for him, you know, I think it was Tony Romo said that he was the best player in the draft since Mahomes. Drew Brees came out and said he could be the best QB in this draft. Uh, and a lot of people who just don't believe he's probably one of the uh, uh, one of the more divisive players in this year's draft class. And, you know, as a Pats fan, I obviously watched every play this game and he looked terrible, like absolutely terrible his first two picks were were uh, on tip plays but those balls never should have been thrown and after that he looked like sam darnold seeing ghosts back in the day uh literally the patriots players were asking him if he was seeing ghosts during the game there's a pretty funny clip of that of matt judon who wasn't even on the pats last year doing that uh so you know his final line 19 of 33 for 210 yards no touchdowns four picks three points scored it did not look good for zach wilson you know, Zach Wilson has all the arm talent in the world. And this is what I said about Sam Darnold before. You can have all the arm talent in the world, but if you don't have what it is, what it takes between the ears, you got nothing. Yeah. Um, granted, Sam Darnold looks a lot better this year, and I'm actually, you know, giving him a second shot as, uh, as you will. But Zach Wilson, um, he's making some dumb decisions. These are late throws that are almost thrown directly at the defenders. I have no idea. There's no explanation for it other than he's either rattled, he's not seen the field right. It has nothing to do with his arm. It's got everything to do with his decision-making. It's got to get cleaned up. You know, Belichick is a nightmare for rookie QBs, but 
four interceptions against a declining defense. I, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm a little worried about Zach Wilson, but I'm, I'm definitely uh, two games in. I'm not pressing the panic button. I believe in the talent overall. Um, he's got weapons. The Jets are on an upward trajectory in terms of talent. So we'll see. Um, definitely reason to worry. I haven't moved him in my rankings. You know, a rookie's going to have bad games. It's going to happen. But it was a nightmare of one for him. It, it, it was, and I, I kind of agree with you on that. Uh, I mean, Wilson is being a little bit too aggressive, in my opinion. Um, he is, let's see, he is top 10 in terms of intended air yards per throw. Um, and he, uh, oh, this sorted the wrong way. Um, and he's doing a lot. Uh, he's doing a lot more than he needs to be doing. He has not been checking down at all, and I think that's really been his main issue. It is important to note that his his completion percentage of fifty five percent. His expected completion percentage is sixty five percent. One of the interceptions went right through Corey Davis's hands last week. Um, I don't think he's being helped out by his bad offensive line and by inconsistent wide receiver play. And the um, Becton going down is real bad. It's been bad. I don't think you can uh, forget about what the Patriots did to Justin Herbert last year. Justin Herbert, a guy who is a top six dynasty QB consensus, who you know could win the MVP very soon. They lost forty-five to nothing to the Patriots last year, and this was a Patriots team without all of their COVID holdouts, without Dante Hightower, with Cam Newton at quarterback. He was twenty-six of fifty-three for three point nine yards per attempt significantly worse than Zach Wilson. So very few quarterbacks. I mean, even in the game that the Dolphins beat the Patriots last year where Tua was playing, Tua played terribly. And the fact is that Belichick just destroys rookie quarterbacks. So again, I'm not really overreacting to this. I actually think it opens up an interesting buy low window for Zach Wilson. Um, Before the season, when there was all this hype on him, there was no way you could get him for a future first. It would probably take, you know, two future firsts or a future first and, you know, a usable Tyler Boyd-level receiver at least just to get in the conversation. Um, at this point, though, I really think that if you send out a future first for Zach Wilson, there might be some teams panicking, um, and I think that would be a, a good buy-low opportunity. That being said, I did move Zach Wilson down quite a bit in my rankings. Um, he moved down four spots. Uh, he moved behind Stafford, Tannehill, and Mac Jones. Uh, were the big ones he moved behind, um, and I, I'm pretty comfortable with him there. I agree with all those. Uh, moving on, we can talk about our uh, last QB uh, is Josh Allen. Uh, Josh Allen had another weird game. Uh, this was the same game where Tua got hurt, and the Dolphins could do nothing on offense, so Allen you know, didn't have to do a whole lot, but he didn't look good. He's not completing the deep ball. He had under 200 yards passing. Um, it's not looking great for Josh Allen. I'm not worried at all. Um, I did actually move him down two spots in my rankings, but number two, three, and four are pretty close for me with Kyler, Lamar, and Allen. Um, I moved him behind Kyler and Lamar. In my heart, I always had him behind there. I've never taken him over Kyler and Lamar, um, but you know, he, I'm not worried about him. Um, he, he doesn't, he, he's not looking totally like 2020 Josh Allen, but again, it's early. I think he'll be fine. Super early. That offense is all out of sorts right now. I, I think, honestly, the biggest issue with that offense isn't Josh Allen, but the play calling. Um, it's been weird. They're, it's, it's like weird. They're not running nearly as much motion before the snap, and it seems like 
getting Emmanuel Sanders acclimated into this offense has not gone well. Um, he's getting targeted a lot, as is Cole Beasley, but it, it's on routes that aren't really uh, you know positive value routes. Stephon Diggs looks like he's running a lot of decoy routes with which is, you know, why you're Stephon Diggs. So I, I, I think they'll be fine. They'll work it out. They're one and one. And, uh, you know, c- coming up this week, I expect them to be a lot better. No, honestly, I think the problem with this offense is exactly what you just said. Like, he is not going to Stephon Diggs that much. You know, Stephon Diggs got bailed out by a touchdown, but it, it seems like he's getting most of his catches on these short, like, safety valve options when a play break, breaks down for, like, five yards and just not exciting from Stephon Diggs. Um the only positive sign I see from the, the Bills' offense overall is Devin Singletary, who for the second week in a row outdid Najee Harris. Just got to say that. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm not worried about Josh Allen. He did slip behind Lamar. I think Josh Allen in real life is a better player than Lamar. Um, but for fantasy purposes, Lamar's rushing production is going to keep him on top of Allen. Uh, disagree. I think Kyler and Mahomes are clearly above Lamar and Allen. But, you know, three and four, Allen and Lamar, I'm not moving him below four. There's probably nothing that could happen this year that does that. Does so. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and, and the last thing, I would say the only thing that could move him down that is if, uh, if Justin Herbert has, you know, a ridiculous QB1 level season. But I, I don't anticipate that. Justin Herbert's been pretty bad. Uh, I don't know about that. Why do you say that? I mean, this week he was... QB 21, and that's following a week where he was, uh, what was it, QB? He's not getting the touchdowns. I mean, he has two touchdowns in two games. That's obviously not good. But he's going to say 26 week one, QB 21 week two. I mean, like, he's just not doing very well. A a lot of what made Herbert really good last year was his mental progression throughout the year, and, like, he's just kind of made bad decisions. Like, he has not thrown the ball to the optimal receiver. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, Justin Herbert, he's definitely got the arm talent. But, again, like, it's between the ears. Does he have it? Is he there yet? I think it's a little too early to put him among the elite quarterbacks. Um, but that being said, like, I definitely think Justin Herbert's a quarterback one. Like, I think he's a top 12 quarterback. I, I, haven't had, I, really, I really got to disagree with you on that. Like, I think he's played well this season. It's been a weird two games for the, uh, for the Chargers, and obviously putting up 17 points against Dallas is not a good thing. But that I think they only punted once, if at all, in this game. It was just a weird game. I mean, he has a completion percentage of 70%. He has a yard. Yeah, but he has nine, nine, touch, uh, nine checkdowns to Austin Eckler. Like, those are gimmies. I get that's that. That's very inflated in 70%. Yeah, but, I mean, his yards per attempt was still over 8 last week. It's still 7.8 on the season. Really, the only thing that's been bad about him has been this touchdown rate, which I don't expect to be this terrible, right? He's got two touchdowns despite having 680 yards. Like, that's just not going to keep up. I'm not worried about ball this. Over. What? He's also turning the ball over. I agree. The the three interceptions aren't great. I actually only saw one of them yeah, uh, last week, but I I'm not worried about Justin Herbert, and I actually think he's looked okay. It's been a weird uh, a weird. I just hope he's not Jameis Winston 2.0. I no 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 no. Justin Herbert is and I was this is a guy I drafted zero Justin Herbert last season. Obviously that was a mistake. He is not Jameis Winston. He is he's a very good player. I'm I'm pretty in on him. Uh, he's. Number six in my rankings in a tier, it's just him and Dak. Um, He's number seven in my rankings in a tier with Justin Fields, Deshaun Watson, and Tua. 
All right, so it looks like you have him a tier below. Who do you have above him? So other than Mahomes, Kyler, Lamar, Allen, and Dak, who's your sixth you have above him? Russ. Russ. Okay, I have Russ seven, so we basically just swapped them. No, no problem with that. Um, let's move off of the – or before we move off the quarterbacks, actually, one thing I just want to say and remind everyone is that rookie quarterbacks typically suck. We've touched on Lawrence and Wilson already. Uh Lawrence had a 37 QB rating. Wilson had a 27 QB rating. Justin Fields came in and looked like crap. Uh, Bears fans, and I live in Chicago, are very upset that Andy Dalton is still playing. I agree if you actually, if you want to look at the long-term future of the franchise. But at this point, Andy Dalton is probably just better than Fields, despite the fact that he's not good. Uh, Fields looked terrible. Um, in my opinion, I would play Fields because I think that the Bears aren't winning anything this year anyways. Mm-hmm. Um but rookie quarterbacks are bad, uh, and once again, Mac Jones had a 90 QB rating, uh, was the best quarterback of the week by far, 70 PFF grade, and Mac Jones is a stud. Yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, like, sometimes you just got to play the veteran. It's, it's similar to the situation in San Francisco where Jimmy Garoppolo is playing over Lance. You got the Bears and 49ers who are two win-now teams, and the best player is the person who actually can read NFL defenses right now, and those are the guys that have been in the league for a decade. Um, you know, the difference I see between Jimmy Garoppolo and Andy Dalton is Jimmy Garoppolo has players that are really good at making things happen after the catch, and Andy Dalton is a worse player. <laughs> yes, okay, yes, no, definitely a worse player. Um, all right, so let's move off quarterbacks. I, I actually think now is probably a good time to end, end the episode. Uh, just to let everyone know, we're going to be releasing, uh, you know, two to three episodes a week now. Uh, We got some feedback. Uh, Thank you for everyone who got back to us. Uh, That an hour and a half was a bit long for these episodes. So we're going to try to keep the kind of Tuesday uh, review episode to an hour, uh, but we're going to release two of them. So (laughs) you're actually getting more content. Uh, We're going to put out this episode sometime Tuesday afternoon, and then we're going to release part two uh, Wednesday morning where we're going to touch on the running backs, wideouts, and tight ends. Uh, just to give you a b- bit of a preview on that, we're going to talk about the whole Pollard versus Zeke thing. Um, I'm I'm pretty sold at this point on Pollard. Uh, we're going to talk about whether you should be concerned for uh, Antonio Gibson, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and Jonathan Taylor. Uh, we're going to move on to the receivers, touch on some of the big guys uh, killing it so far this season, like Cooper Cup, Mike Williams, Debo Samuel, and Rondell Moore. Uh, the return of Cortland Sutton, also a big topic. Um, Of course, we're going to look at uh, TJ Hawkinson and who would you rather have, him or Kyle, uh, sorry, him or Kyle Pitts or George Kittle. Uh, Who would you rather have, Mark Andrews and Noah Fant. Um, And then we're going to get back to uh, some of our listeners on their trade questions, as well as previewing Carolina versus Houston. Uh, So, Jacob, you can stay on the line with me. We're going to continue this podcast. But to the listeners, thanks for listening. Uh, If it's Tuesday, uh, check out tomorrow morning for part two. Uh, of this podcast.